But in 2000, there was a movie. Now, I have to admit, I have not seen the movie. And so I can't speak to whether or not the movie's good, or if it's of good quality. But I, I did remember when the movie came out, um, the one thing that um, it kind of caught my attention, and it came out in 2000, and the name of the movie was called Pay It Forward. Anybody see that movie? Anybody? Okay, a few of you did, Pay It Forward. Um, the whole idea behind the movie is that it's a story about a social studies teacher, I think that was played by Kevin Spacey, um, and the social studies teacher, he gives an assignment to his junior high school class, and what he asked them to do is he asked them to think of an idea that would change the world for better, and then <clears throat> go put it into action. I mean, there's a novel idea. Hey, think about ways we can change the world, and then actually go do it. Don't, don't keep the thoughts in your head. Go do something with them. And so um, when, when one young student in the class came up with this great idea of paying it forward and particularly paying forward a favor, like you do something good or kind for someone, and then that person would in turn do it and pay it forward to somebody else. Uh, what happened is he not only affected the life of his struggling single mother, but he also sets in motion an unprecedented chain of events that would ultimately, unbeknownst to him, would actually become a worldwide or, or at least a national phenomenon. And so this thing kind of catches so what I want to do and what I want us to think about today is, is that whole idea. And this is really what Paul's going to point us to. See, back in 2014, I was a pastor in the Orlando, Florida area at a church in Groveland, Florida. And we were going through a sermon series down there. And the, the name of the sermon series was Love, Grow, Go, which was kind of uh, our mission statement down there. And we were talking about the love aspect one of the things that we challenged our church to do in that time was what we said, hey, listen, love your neighbor, right? And that's a great idea. I mean, Jesus came up with that. It wasn't anything that we created. Love your neighbor. And so we came up with a list of practical ways that you could love your neighbor. We, we encourage people to, hey, you know, go next door, find somebody who, you know, is your, your physical neighbor. Hey, bake them a pie, bake them some cookies, trim their hedges, Cut their grass. Do whatever you can just to make them feel loved. But then there are some other ways that as we go out, because when Jesus said, love your neighbor, he didn't mean the person that lives next door to you. I mean, everybody is our neighbor. And one of the things that we encourage people to do was we made these cards up that had our church logo on it, church information. We said, when you go out to eat today, because most people go out to eat for whatever reason on a Sunday, and uh, said, hey, when you go out to eat today, take a card with you. And what we want you to do is when you get in and you sit down and you begin to look around the restaurant, look at people, and, and we want you to ask God to give you spiritual eyes to see someone who is in need. And just pray for them. Pray for them, and then when you're done praying for them, go anonymously pay for their bill. Don't tell them who it is. You know, don't go up and go, hey, just want to let you know, I paid for your food. You can thank me if you want to. No, like, don't do that. Like, literally, go pay for their food. Give the card to their waitress. And then when it's time for the bill to come due at the end of the meal, literally that waitress or waiter will go up to that family and say, hey, listen, just want to let you know, there's, a, there's another family that paid for your meal and they wanted to give you this card. And all the card on it, all the card said is, is it had, again, it had our logo, it had some stuff on it, but the card literally said that we want you to know that God led me to love you. And so we took care of your bill. Now, here's what's interesting um, the, the person, I don't know who did it, and of course don't know the person that, whose meal got paid for, or the family whose meal got paid for. 
But the family who got their meal paid for took a picture of the card, made a pretty lengthy post on Facebook about how much it meant to them that someone would do that for them. And they made this, they made this post, and in the post they, they talked about how it had been a long time since really they had felt the presence of God, and that they had, in this moment, receiving a card from someone that said, God led me to love you, um, just reminded them of God's love for them and that God had not forgotten about them. Now, we didn't know, you know how Facebook works. If you're not a friend with someone, then you're not going to see their post. But here's what's interesting. So is that that whole thing played out. We got an email. We would have never known. No one in our church was friends with the person. Um, you know, I mean, that seems kind of strange. You think about where we live in Osceola and, you know, Irwin and Ben Hill County and the surrounding areas. Kind of everybody knows everybody through somebody, right? I mean, we, we get that. But when you live in Orlando, it's really easy to go to the store and not know anyone. And so it was really... When, when the person posted it, like no one in our church saw it. It was several weeks later, we got an email. And the email came in from someone and said, hey, I just want you to know that I love that your church is making a difference right where you are. And my friend posted this and it meant the world to them. The email came from someone in the state of Washington. Someone in the state of Washington saw a post that someone that they knew who used to live in the state of Washington, happened to be in the Orlando area, had their meal paid for, and it made such a huge impact. And the reason I'm telling you all that is, is what, was, you know, what was meant to touch someone's life in our community ended up having a, a bigger effect. It ended up having a ripple effect, as a matter of fact, almost in the sense of like pay it forward, and we think of the movie Pay It Forward. And so here is what, I mean, you guys know this, but I just want to throw it out for some context. A ripple effect is defined as a situation in which one event produces effects, which spread and produce further effects. So something happens, you get a ripple effect, and, and those begin to have effects on other people. And it, it honestly, in the context of this, begins to have effect on other people. There are, there are more ripples that begin to take place. See, when I was a when I was a kid, I grew up in a neighborhood, and we had this, it was a fairly big creek in the middle of our neighborhood, and there was a bridge that, would, that, that went across it, and that was kind of the favorite play place, for me anyway, especially when we got some good rains. When we got some good rains, the, the water level would rise, and there would be a lot of water in there, and we would go, and we'd just grab rocks, and we would go, me and a bunch of my friends, we'd go up on the bridge, and we would throw them off into the water, and we would see who could make the biggest splash and whose ripple could last the longest. We would sit there and count. And, and as I think about that, and I think back to my childhood, eventually, thinking about those ripple effects, if, if you didn't, if you stopped throwing rocks, eventually the ripple would just fade. And then the water would just become calm and clear. In the book of Romans, Paul spends the first eight chapters, he spends it telling us about this man named Jesus and what Jesus came to do. He's telling us the story about God's plan of redemption. In Romans 1 through 8, we're seeing the buildup of, hey, you're all guilty. You're all guilty, but God made a way, and God provides grace, and God has new mercies. And so 1 through 8, he talks about the mercy of God, and then in chapters 9 through 11, he says, but wait a minute before, because there was a logical progression to Paul's arguments. If you, if you read Romans, it just kind of builds and builds and builds. And he'll spend a lot of time building an argument and then immediately jumping into answering questions that would have naturally risen out of his argument. And one of the things that Paul 
uh, brings up is, okay, it would seem as though that now that the gospel has spread to the Gentiles and that Gentiles are coming to faith, uh, a Gentile, if you're not from a church background, is simply someone who's not Jewish. And it would seem as though in this moment that Gentiles are coming to faith, but the Jewish people were rejecting God. And in, it would, in that moment, it would seem like that God's promises to his people, the Jewish people, had, had somehow failed. And so Paul spends two chapters, in, or three chapters, 9 through 11, making the argument. Is, it's, he says, it's not as though the word of God has failed. And then we get to chapter 12, and there's this pivot, there's this change. And we talked about that last week in chapters 12, chapter 12, 1 and 2. And so now there's this pivot, and in the pivot, Paul is going to talk about, he's going to move from talking about the splash that Jesus made, and he's going to begin to talk about how you and I were saved by God to make a splash. That the ripple effect that Jesus has had, that when Jesus saved people, if you read Acts chapter 1, there's kind of an outline for the entire book of Acts. So in the, if you're not from a church background, let me give you a real basic background. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, are the stories of Jesus his coming, his miracles, his recruiting of disciples, and ultimately his death, burial, and resurrection. Then you get into the book of Acts, which is written by Luke, who wrote one of the Gospels. And, and, in, and in the book of Acts, it's literally the Gospel spreading. Okay, It's the launch of the church, and it's the Gospel spreading. And in the book of Acts, in chapter 1, verse 8, Luke gives us an outline for the rest of the book of Acts. He said, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So that's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out. Day of Pentecost is poured out in Jerusalem. So he says again, Acts 1, 8, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Holy Spirit poured out there, day of Pentecost. People get saved. Thousands of people get saved. And so the Holy Spirit is poured out there. Then you fast forward to Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, the Samaritans, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Samaritans and people are getting saved. So again, back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And then in Acts chapter 10, the first Greek, the first non-Jewish person comes to faith in Christ. His name is Cornelius and he was a servant. And they go and preach the gospel to him and he gets saved. And his life has changed, him and his whole household. And so here we are today as a result of that ripple effect that happened, that Jesus said, here is the, here's the epicenter of faith. This is what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to be poured out, and you guys are going to go. And by the way, the thing that caused them to go was not their willingness as much as it was the persecution. And so persecution begins to happen. The ripple effect goes. People are carrying the gospel with them everywhere. And everywhere they go, when they leave Jerusalem and they get out to the outer parts of Judea and then into Samaria, there's another splash and there's another ripple effect. And then they get to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 and there's another splash and a ripple effect. And then people begin to take the gospel all over the world. And we're here today because there were people who came here seeking religious freedom there were people that came here and made big splashes. And at some point, 125 years ago, someone made a splash in Osceola by launching this church. And here we are today as a, as a result. The question, the question that the Apostle Paul, the question really I think that God is really going to ask us today is, are we going to let the waters of culture and the waters of the world still? Or are we here 
to allow God to use our life to make another big splash so that the ripple effect will outlast our lifetime. So how do we do that? So the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, again, verses 1 and 2 last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. But he says, I'm just going to read 1 and 2 so we can get into 3. And he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. The mercies would be all of those things that have happened in your life, in my life. Those would be the things that made the splash that allowed you to come to faith in Christ. And he says, in view of that, in view of that, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And he said, so if you want to make a, he said, he's, he's basically telling us this. When we come to faith in Christ, what we're doing is we are putting our lives on an altar to say, God, my life is yours to do with it whatever you choose to do. And so now in verses 3 through 21, so we're going to finish all of chapter 12 today. So we're going to scoot through this. It's not because it's not important, but there's big chunks of meat here that, that all point to the same thing that we'll unpack a little bit. But the question is, is how do we do that? How, what does a life of sacrifice look like? If, if God has called us to be living sacrifices, what does a life of sacrifice look like? Well, here we go. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. <clears throat> For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Can I give you the first kind of point here? The first point is this. Paul is saying, if you want to be a living sacrifice, and how do we live a life of sacrifice? The first thing that we have to do is we have to think about ourselves appropriately. Okay? Now, we all, we all think about ourselves, don't we? I mean, we all think about ourselves a lot. We talked about this that, you know, uh, I think it was last week, I talked about how we, we have these self-thoughts. So we have self-conversations a lot, and 90% of our conversations are negative conversations. But Paul says that you need to think about yourself appropriately. So what does it mean to think about yourself appropriately? Well, first of all, never considering ourselves is unhealthy. To never, ever, ever think about yourself isn't an unhealthy thing. I mean, like, so if you're sitting here thinking, okay, well, did Paul just tell me that I'm never supposed to think about myself? Well, no, that's not what Paul's saying. To think about ourselves, to never think about ourselves is very unhealthy. Think about it this way. What are some of the things that God has called us to do as followers of Jesus? Number one, he's called us to pray. Well, why do we pray? Yes, we pray for other people, but you know what we're praying for? We're praying in order to seek God so that we can have communion with him. And what is the byproduct of that? The byproduct of that is we feel better. When you pray, you feel better. When you have a conversation with God, you feel better. When you take all your concerns to God, you feel better. Don't be anxious about anything, but by prayer and supplication, let all your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, it'll cleanse your soul. Like So God knows, and he wants you to, yes, think of yourself. So when you have struggles, when you're going through stuff, pray. That's thinking, that is thinking of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself appropriately. God, I need you. I can't fix this. A second thing to think about when we think about ourselves in a healthy way, worship. Worship 
Us showing up here, worshiping together, that's thinking about yourself. I don't know about you, but I need this. Like, I need to be in here. I need, I need the iron sharpening iron. I need the interaction with every one of you. I need to see your faces. It does my heart good to see you all, um, not just because you're here, but because I know that you're pursuing God. Like, there's a comfort that it gives me as a pastor to know that the people of God are pursuing him. And so when you worship, when you come to worship, when you show up, yes, you're, I mean, we're, our thoughts are towards God. Worship is not about us, but it is for us. So that's thinking about ourselves in a very healthy and an appropriate way. Another way that we do that is by taking a Sabbath. The, there's a reason when God created that he rested on the seventh day. It was to give us an example that if God, who holds everything together, if God is the one who created and God is the one who sustains and he can take a rest, so too should we, his creation, be able to take a moment and take a day and rest for our souls. And by that, by that, when we take a rest, it's not just a day of recreation, but it is a day of God recreating in us. It is a day where we get to stop and pause and think about who God is and who we are in light of who he is and allow him, allow him to have the deepest parts of our heart, our mind, and our soul so that, so that we can be healthy and well. And yes, that is thinking about ourselves, but it is thinking about ourselves appropriately. Now, all of those things, prayer, worship, Sabbath, <clears throat> all of those are meant to draw us near to God because near to God is the best place for you and me to be. And so again, that's, that's thinking about ourselves appropriately. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 39, there's this moment where Jesus has been asked by some people, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says to them, he says, all right, hey, look. <clears throat> he says, what you need to do is you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said the second great commandment is just like it. He says, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as who? So loving yourself is appropriate. Loving yourself is good. To love yourself, you kind of have to think about yourself. But Paul is saying in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. In other words, we've got to think of ourselves appropriately. Paul says, love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't say love your neighbor instead of yourself. So to not think about yourself and not consider ourselves is unhealthy. But only considering yourself is also unhealthy. When you have no consideration for other people, when we don't think about how our lives were meant to impact the world, when we keep everything that God has given us, when we keep it all to ourselves, that's not healthy either. So again, Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself equally as much, the same, in the same way, love your neighbor. Did you know that in the Greek word for one another is in the New Testament 100 times. One another is in the New Testament 100 times. I think God's trying to make a point. I mean, God would say throughout the New Testament in, in various references to this one another, he would say to love one another, honor one another, encourage one another, greet one another, welcome one another. Live in harmony with one another. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Bear with one another. 
comfort one another, care for one another. And those are just, I mean, those are just some of them. Did you know that you can't one another yourself? I mean, that's kind of hard. And so there's a reason that in the New Testament we see this one another over and over and over again. And here's the point. Again, we can't one another ourselves. I need you, you need me, we need each other. There's a reason that in the very beginning when God created, he said that it says that everything that he created, he looked down and he saw that it was good except one thing. He said, it is not good that man should be alone. And if I only consider myself, the other parts of the body don't get one another. If I only ever consider myself, then I don't lead well. If I, don't, if I only ever consider myself, then I can't love you appropriately. If I only ever consider myself, then I'm just thinking about my needs and I never think about your needs. And that's not what the body of Christ is meant to do. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. Listen how he continues. Now, so Paul is going to get into, um, after, after he tells us that we have to, to think of ourselves appropriately, he's going to give us another step for how to live a life of sacrifice, how to live sacrificially. Verse, uh, verse 4, for as much in one body, for as much in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So here's the second thing that Paul would say to us, or the second thing Paul's telling us here through these verses, the second way of how to live a sacrificial life is use your gifts accordingly. Every single person that is born again, every single person that has professed faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Jesus, lives in us. And with that, we all get, every single person who is a believer gets what is called a spiritual gift. Now, Paul is making this analogy right here. He's, he's making an analogy of like our physical bodies, we have members, right? You have fingers, you have toes, you have arms, you have hands, you have legs, you have feet. I mean, we all have members. And he said in the same way, he says in the same way, the body of Christ, we are individually members of one another. That I am attached to you, you're attached to me, we're attached to one another, that we are members of one another. And so Paul is saying that we, we've all been given gifts for the purpose of meeting the needs of one another, to making sure that the other parts of the body are strengthened as well. Now, <clears throat> we were given gifts to one another, one another. We were given gifts. The reason that you have a spiritual gift, the reason that, so if you, if you kind of unpack this, God saved you. When he saved you, he gave you the spirit. Through the spirit, he gave you gifts. So the reason he saved you was not for you. The reason he saved you was not so that you could wait out your life here on earth until you one day get to heaven. The reason he saved you was to make a difference in the lives of other people. That's why he saved me and you. Me being a pastor, me preaching is not, um, this is just me using my spiritual gift. This is just me. If I didn't use my spiritual gift, there would be no one speaking right now. I use my spiritual gift, pastoring, shepherding, in order to minister to the flock. You have a spiritual gift too. And your spiritual gift is needed as much as my spiritual gift. 
Your spiritual gift is needed so that you can know how to appropriately and properly minister to the body so that all the members of the body are healthy as well. So use your gifts accordingly. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, Matthew tells us, or uh, Jesus tells us this parable. A parable is just a story that has a point to it. And in it, it's the parable of talents. And a talent is not like a like you would think, like singing is a talent or playing guitar like Jared is a talent. Like, not that kind of talent. A talent was a measure of money. And Jesus is going to use these measures of money, and he's going to say that a master was going away, and he gave to his servants different proportions of talent. And so he's going to say he gave to, he gave to one five, one uh, two, and one one. Okay? And then it says he goes away, and when he comes back, he asks him, what did you do with the talent? And the one who had five says, hey, look, I took your five talents. I went and used them to make more talents. Basically, I invested in the kingdom in the context in which we're looking at this. I used my spiritual gift, and now there's more disciples. There's more followers. There's more people who are living a life full on for Jesus. And so he says, I used it, and I used the five. And not only did I use the five, did I invest it? Now I got five in return. So here, here's 10. Here's your talents. Here's your, here's your gifts that you gave me. The one who had two went and invested them. When he re- the master returned, he gave him four. The one who had one took his one gift and he went and buries it. And when the master returns, he says, I knew you to be a hard taskmaster and I knew that you reaped where you did not sow. So I took your, I took your gift, I buried it. So here's your one gift back. And here's what the master would say to that person. He said, wicked and slothful servant, you knew I reaped where I did not sow. And he said, take the one talent, and give it to the one who has 10. And, he's, and he calls them wicked and slothful. The other two who took it invested what God had given them. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into, and we miss this a lot. He says, enter into the joy of the master. If you're lacking joy in your life, can I just be honest with you? What we see from scripture, if you're lacking joy in your life, it's because you're probably not using your talent in proportion to your faith. You're not using the talent that God's given you. The greatest joy in my life, the greatest joy of my life, nothing makes me, nothing gives me life more than using my spiritual giftedness to minister to people. And I believe you all would find that too if you would just take the gift that God's given you and use it. Now, I know what you're thinking. Some of you are going, well, how do I know what my spiritual gift is? I might use it if I knew what it was. I am so glad you asked. If you will text gifts, we're going to put this on the screen. We're, if you will text GIFTS to 833-244-0977, it will lead you to this number. You text GIFTS to this. It'll simply send you a response immediately back. There's a link on that so that you can click it, take the spiritual gifts test. It'll give you results. And then when you get it, there's also a link in there for you to email the church to tell us what your spiritual gift is. And then if we know what your spiritual gift is, we might be able to help you find the spot that's appropriate. There, there are different areas in the church where different gifts are used. We would love for you to use your gift that you might too find joy in the Lord. Last but not least, this is the fun section. Okay, this is, this is the fun section. Um, <clears throat> Romans chapter 12, verse, verses 9 through 21. It's lengthy, but I want us to look at this. This is, um, this is good, Okay. Let love be what? Genuine. Genuine, all right? Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Verse 10. Love one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing what? Honor. All right? Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. 
Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in what? Prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. That's a fun one, isn't it? Y'all good at that? Anybody good at anybody in here naturally is just gifted at blessing those who persecute you? Yeah, me either. Bless and do not curse them. A story I told um, this past Wednesday night, we're going through a study in Philippians. I remember, I remember one time we were, I was teaching a, an adult Bible study down in Florida and we had a group of people and we were talking about heaven and we were talking about some things that just, you know, how, what heaven's going to be like and how glorious it's going to be and how great it's going to be. And, um, you know, can't wait to see grandma when I get there and I can't wait to see, you know, and I got some questions that I want to ask Moses, whatever. I mean, there, there's all these comments being thrown out. And then this one lady says, what if there's some people that we don't want to see there? I was like, ouch. It's like, man, I think some Georgia fans are going to make it in. I mean, all right. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. That's kind of the world we live in today, I feel like. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, I, I wish that this, like, this right here between the commas was just gone. It would be great if it just says, if possible, live peaceably with all. But do you notice where the emphasis is at? He says, so far as it depends on you. Man, that one's tough. Okay, we'll keep moving because I know we don't like that verse. Let's get that off the screen. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. It just keeps getting better. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As we read all of these passages, as we, as we discover what God is trying to teach us through the Apostle Paul as he writes to Romans chapter 12, when we think about this, how are we doing how are we doing as followers of Jesus? How are we doing as a church? I don't always get it right. I don't. And I know that we can all be tempted. We can all be tempted. We can all be tempted to repay evil with evil. We can all be tempted to not outdo one another in showing honor, but to dishonor. We can all, we can all um, be slothful in our zeal. We can always be after those who have persecuted us. We can try to persecute them in return. We can, we can be guilty of doing a lot of these things. But what Paul would say, so yes, think of yourself appropriately. Yes, use your gifts accordingly. But lastly, I think Paul through this section is telling us to love genuinely. To love genuinely. Let your love be genuine. What does that mean? You ever had somebody, you ever had somebody, and sometimes people, sometimes people say that, I love you, 
You're like, I don't know if you do. Like, I love you. Do you? Because sometimes our actions doesn't demonstrate. You know, you can, we can say, I love you with our mouth. That's easy. Can we demonstrate that we love you with our actions? If you told your spouse, if you told them every single day, hey, I love you, but you never spent time with them, you never did anything to serve them, that your whole goal in life was that you thought that I was going to, you thought that you were going to get married so that you would have somebody to serve you all the time and you never reciprocate, probably not going to go real well. So how are we doing on letting our love be genuine? How is that going? Can we, can we genuinely love? And, and when I think of love, when he says let love be genuine, I think of Jesus. Because what did Jesus do? Jesus loved those who persecuted him. He loved those who were the least, the lost, and the left behind. He loved the people that were social outcasts. He loved the people that nobody wanted to be with. He was, Jesus was like the cool kid who went and sat at the uncool kid table all the time and didn't sit with the cool kids and then got persecuted for it. Jesus was always reaching out to the people who had the need. Jesus was always concerned about other people. Jesus, while he's on the cross, looks down from the cross at the people who put him there and said, Father, now I don't know what you would have put in this blank right here, but you might have put, Father, discipline him. Father, ignore him. Father, forget him. You might have even said, Father, rain down fire from heaven on him. But Jesus said, Father, what? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I think, in, I think what the Apostle Paul is trying to help us to understand here is that we need to love people genuinely. So how do we do that? The first thing that we need to do, and this is really important, is he says in verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hate what is evil. Do you know what evil is? Evil is a three-letter word that we see throughout Scripture. It's called sin. He says hate sin. Why? Because sin is what kills relationships. It kills our relationship with God, and sin is what kills our relationship with one another. You sin against somebody, your relationship dies. Living in sin never helps anyone. Then the second thing that if we're trying to figure out how to love people genuinely, he says, um, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. So how do we love people genuinely? Honor people. Build up, don't tear down. Give them honor. Honor them. No matter how they treat you, honor them. The next thing we see is uh, don't be slothful and zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. You know how you love people? You serve them. Jesus came to earth not to be served. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He demonstrated us his love towards us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came to serve. And that's how we can show each other Love. That's how we can love genuinely. Use your spiritual giftedness that you, hopefully you're going to learn about today, if you don't know what it is, to serve God in his church, thereby helping build other people up. Then he says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Just pray for people. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Are we looking outside of ourselves to look around and see the needs of other people? Are we looking at that? And then that whole big long list of blessing those who persecute you, bless and don't curse them. I mean, it really becomes an attitude of the heart. When we realize in view of God's mercies that he talks about in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, when we understand how much we have been forgiven, 
How can we not forgive those who sin against us? Somebody said this to me this morning. I can't remember. Maybe it was Hal Taylor. We were having a conversation. We were just talking about stuff. And, and one of the things that came up was the Lord's Prayer. What does he say in the Lord's Prayer? He says, forgive us of our trespasses as we bury those who trespass against us. Is that what it says? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I misquoted. Uh, Forgive us of our trespasses as we hate those who trespass against us. That's not right either. Maybe I shouldn't be your pastor. Can't quote scripture. Um, Forgive us of our trespasses as we blast on social media those who have trespassed against us. We're all guilty of that, right? Like we do that. Forgive us of our trespasses as we, as you what? As we, forgive us of our trespasses, right? As what? Yeah. We have to be, and we've got to grow in this. And our world doesn't help us because our world constantly tells us to shout down people who stand in opposition to us instead of loving appropriately. And Paul right here gives us a word. So if we're going to, now in light of the gospel, so Romans 1 through 8 and then 9 through 11, as we get to this, Paul has built up this theology in us that we can understand what God has done for us so that we can become the ripple effect that continues on. We, it's our job to make splashes for the gospel. It's our job to make, and you know what? Maybe none of us in here ever become the next Billy Graham or the next whoever that made, obviously, significant splashes in the world. And though we may not make a splash that might impact and have an effect on millions of people, what if you could just make a splash and a ripple effect in one person's life? What if you could do that for one person and What if that one person's life that you changed becomes the next Billy Graham? Somebody had to lead him to faith. Somebody had to pour into him. What if our greatest contribution in this world isn't what we do, but someone we raise? What if our greatest contribution in this life is the courage that we put into someone by the love that we express to them? What if What if the greatest contribution that we make in this life is just by simply showing up, using our spiritual gift to serve other people, and through that service, somebody's life gets changed forever? Your life got changed because somebody served you. One day you were sitting in a church and somebody carved out the time to go buy those Dollar General brand Oreo cookies and those goldfish that you ate. And they taught you how to color appropriately. They probably, some of y'all probably saw some stuff on a flannel graph and you're like, what the heck is this? Maybe, you, maybe there was a point in time that somebody just carved out the time to wipe your snotty nose. They didn't even teach the greatest Bible lesson, but they demonstrated the greatest amount of love because they served you. And because of that, today, you're here riding the waves of the ripple effect. And if we're not careful, if we're unwilling to serve people and love appropriately, if we're unwilling to do that, then what's going to happen is eventually the waters will still and people in our community will no longer be impacted by the gospel. And it's on us. We've been given the instructions, and what are we going to do? I want to read you. um, By the way, if you don't know this, love is the circulatory system of the body of Christ. Without love, I mean, in the same way, without blood in our own bodies, our bodies die. 
and in the very same way. And, and not only does the body die, but you know, if you lose circulation to just one part of your body, that member dies. Love is the circulatory system of the body of Christ. And if we quit loving appropriately, then what's going to happen is members of the body of Christ are going to die. And they'll fall off. They'll fall away. They'll leave the church never to return again because they didn't experience the love of Jesus there. I want to read you a quote. It's by a Nigerian pastor. I thought, man, did he come to America? What, what happened? But this is a quote from him. His name is Sunday. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. You, Sunday A, that's his last name. A. Um, listen to what he says. He says, it is a pity. It is a pity that dead men are still impacting the world while men who are still alive are wasting away, roaming the world without an understanding of what to do with their time. How is it that the people that we spend the most time talking about who made an impact on Christendom are people who are dead? And why is it not that people are talking about me and you, our church, us? How, why is it that people are not talking about churches in a way that says, oh, it's impacting the world? It's impacting how I live my life. It's impacting how I see the world. It's impacting how I see other people. Why is that? And so I pray today that you would be challenged to some extent and encouraged to do three things, as Paul points out, to think of yourself appropriately, to use your gifts accordingly, and to love people genuinely, because God did all three of those for you.